with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right. Welcome to After 9. Herb Martin here sitting in for Rez Krebs again. And uh, we've got uh, the old gangs sitting here. We've got Eric Allen, uh, Peter Ewart, and Art Betke on the panel today. And we're going to start off talking about um, our neighbors uh, to the east, uh, Alberta, and um, uh, Daniel Smith's um, uh, kiboshing of uh, renewable energy in that province. Uh, Eric, what's your what's your take? Did she have what kind of reasons did she have for doing it, and um, uh, were they valid, or is it a is it a political uh, basically? A, Throwing, is she throwing red meat at her supporters? Is that is that the the reason, or is there some valid economic reason for doing this? Well, I doubt if there's anywhere in the world there's a valid economic reason for for that way of generating electricity compared to fossil fuels. But uh, you know, the person that wrote that particular article, I would say, is somewhat biased. There was nothing good to be said about Alberta. Alberta's got a diversified economy. It's not just oil. And inadvertently, he actually pointed that out when he started making comparisons to the amount of uh, acreage needed for putting up a few windmills as opposed to the actual amount of uh, Alberta acreage that's under uh, cultivation. I mean, it's, it's a big farming uh, province along with uh, minerals, logging, and... Uh, petroleum products, but I think it was a PR thing that they're trying to go down the road to uh, clean uh, uh, electricity when in actual fact the money's in petroleum products, and so it's PR. That's what I would say. They, uh, I think we've got to get into it. When we start talking about oil, we better start getting into all the uses of oil instead of just the one which we always talk about, uh, gasoline versus electricity. That's what it's not about. I mean, why do you think all the people around the world, the countries, want these big refineries uh, if it's just about gasoline? We had 20 refineries shut down in Canada the last 30 years, and uh, the big ones now are in the States and in, around Houston, Texas, I think. And that's where this rough or, uh, crude oil goes, and they refine it, and then they make all the byproducts. The money's in the byproducts. A small portion of their profits are in gasoline, and if they if they lose the gasoline market to electric cars, so what? You still need the oil for everything else we use it for. So we better start looking at that and forget about the old. I mean, it's nice for the oil companies to have us looking at gas versus electricity. Because if they looked at what we use the actual uh, oil for, it doesn't look like they'll ever stop using it. Do you think that uh, renewable energy uh, has uh, a future in Alberta? Does it, it? I mean, it doesn't doesn't look like it at the moment. Uh, they're they're basically um, canceling what three and a half billion dollars worth of investments. Uh, there's uh, I think 19 projects that are uh, going to be shut down. Uh, pretty much right away, and another 71 that are uh, basically going to get delayed for up to a year. Uh, at a time when uh, electricity prices in Alberta are soaring, so uh, EPCOR and um, 
what is it? Um, I think it's NMAX in, in Calgary and EPCOR in Edmonton have, have approached the Alberta Utilities Commission, and they want uh, uh, over 31 cents a kilowatt hour. <clears throat> so I think in uh, in BC it's around, what, 12 cents at the moment. Um, uh, BC, uh, Manitoba is um, about 8 cents, and um, I think Quebec is around 7 uh, these wow. are these are all uh, provincially run uh, crown corporations, and they've well, got provincially run crown corporations as general rule are doomed before they ever get started. They're well, the wrong the, people to be in that business. But the fact of the matter is, part of our, uh, our rationale for building Site C was the market that we have for that electricity in Alberta. So you can't have it both ways. They all want to use the same sort of rationale for doing these big projects. But there's only, you know, we actually going to have to export that that uh, power somewhere. What are we going to do with it? And so probably it's cheaper to get it from B.C. and Alberta than it is to generate it themselves. Well, yeah, so basically it looks like uh, Alberta has very low renewable energy, only about 12.5%. Well, they don't need it. The, the only thing between Alberta and B.C. is a line on a map that we drew with a uh, ruler and a, and a pencil. Electricity just goes to Alberta when we send it. Or to the Bonneville. They only goes to California. Yeah, but, the, you know, so Albertans are paying three times the amount for electricity than, than B.C. residents. So it makes sense for B.C. to sell them uh, cheap renewable energy. Uh, it, does this prove that uh, that fossil fuels maybe are on the way out, that, that uh, it's not the future? Well, I mean, you look at it any way you want. The oil industry said a while ago that fossil fuels in Canada is not going anywhere for the next 50 years. Now, I don't know what part of that people don't understand, but if it comes from the oil industry and it was put out there three or four years ago and they're still producing and they're still looking for new oil wells, I would say, yeah, it's not going anywhere. And even this greenhouse gas scenario that they sell to you, I'm basically tired of listening to it because they don't give you the whole story. They pick and choose what they want you to hear. And uh, there's a number of cases out there where they show, and if you actually get rid of all this cloud cover and everything, the temperature is going to rise in this country. It's not going to go down. So that's it's kind of scary when you think about that. Peter, what's, what's your take on uh, Daniel Smith's... Uh ban on renewable energy well the way she's done it it, it just uh, reinforces uh, the uh, the fact that she operates in a very erratic manner I find right you know like uh, according to the news reports uh, you know the uh, renewable energy uh, people who found that their uh, uh, projects were have, have been put on hold uh, were blindsided you know in terms of uh, finding out about this and there's many other. There's a whole bunch of other examples with with Danielle Smith how she operates at a, in an erratic way. Uh, but the second point I would make, though, is uh, just following up with what Eric is saying. Uh, I agree. You know, like the we should not de- demonize oil and gas. Oil and gas. Uh, there's a huge amount of potential there to produce all kinds of different sorts of products. Uh, rather than just, uh, you know, basically wasting them on fuel. You know, so uh, when you look at the uh, 
literally thousands of, of products, and we're shipping this stuff out and uh, using large amounts of it for uh, for for fuel. Uh, you know, so that's a that's a problem. We need to process our our raw materials more, and uh, we need we need plans to do that, right? And, and I don't have faith in Daniel Smith that she's going to put together a plan to to do that. And it's not as if um, uh, Albertans are not pushing for this, right? You know, like when you look at the, uh, the union movement, for example, uh, the Alberta Federation of Labor, like they're they're pushing for a similar thing to that. That there should be more processing of of the uh, oil and gas uh, su- supply and um, developing industries and. Uh, Research and so on, all, all on that basis. Some, there is some of that 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 is taking place, right? But um, it's not enough. We need more of it. We need a we need a plan to deal with the fact that the world is changing very rapidly, and uh, we need uh, plans that take into account uh, the technological and the you know the changes that are happening with uh, you know the burning of fo- fossil fuel, you know, and 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 so on. So that would be my take on things. Uh, Art, what's the, you, you're able to read those those articles. What, what did you, what's your take on those articles? Are they she, she have any valid reason whatsoever for for canceling it? Or is she trying to keep Alberta in the past? Is you know, trying to keep the the past glories of the oil industry alive? Or um, are there is there something behind it? She's being realistic. Uh, that one article I started to read. I mean, they're out to lunch. They called the NDP a sensible centrist government. Centrist? The NDP? Give me a break. And uh, That was your first hint. <laughs> uh, uh, they were calling uh, the, the Freedom Convoy racist and anti-vax. Oh, come on. Racist is something that people label anybody who's conservative because they can't defeat their arguments. And they weren't anti-vax. They were anti-vax mandate. Big difference. No, she's being realistic. The fact of the matter is that uh, the wind and solar cannot replace fossil fuels. You need something <coughs> different. Uh, these are ancient sources of energy. Even if we use the modern technology to collect them, it's uh, very, it, it's, it's erratic. It, it's not steady, constant, affordable power that we can uh, use to replace fossil fuels. Um, you have um, other places who have tried it. People who have gone into uh, wind and solar heavily, their costs skyrocket, just like you said they are in Alberta. Why? Maybe because it's all those those, uh, wind towers that they're putting up. Uh, Alberta has lots of natural gas. That's the cheapest uh, form of energy they could have. And they have to have that to back up the uh, the wind because uh, the wind and solar aren't there all the time so you have to basically have two complete generating systems which drives up the cost Uh, and then you'll find that uh, the wind farms they're all being imposed on rural residents who have to suffer the consequences and that's where Danielle Smith's uh, support really is strongest they suffer consequences to their health to their livestock health to their livelihoods their way of life and they have no say in it and the companies who put up these things, they have to consult with them. And so they get together, they talk to a bit, and then they say, oh, we consulted. You know what? They won't listen to what they say. They won't 
change anything. It's just, you know, we had to talk to him, so we talked to him. It's just absolutely morally wrong to treat the rural people this way. And uh, it's, it's good to see that somebody is standing up for them. The vast majority of environmentalists who want and approve of all this wind farm stuff, uh, they live in large urban centers as far removed and protected from the environment as it's possible to get, and about as far removed from the effects of environmental activism as it's possible to get. So, yeah, they don't suffer anything, and they have the most votes. So... No, I think she's just being realistic. Holland, uh, Holland, uh, somebody in Holland uh, did a, a calculation on what it would take to replace all sources of energy with wind in order to supply the energy with wind and batteries for backup when the wind isn't blowing and all the extra transmission lines. We'd use every square foot of land in Holland plus an equivalent amount of space in the North Sea. It cannot replace fossil fuels. Someday we will do something different, but it will not be wind and solar. Well, that, that article also pointed out that um, uh, wind, wind towers uh, uh, occupy less than 0.1% of the land base in, in uh, Alberta. Uh, when, you, when you talk about uh, uh, landholders being uh, uh, impacted by them, uh, they've also they've dealt with landholders in Alberta have dealt with oil wells for, for generations. Oil wells don't destroy their way of life. Well, I don't Oil know. Oil wells don't kill their livestock. Well, there's actually, uh, what was it, uh, Lubo... Le- Weebo, Ludwig. Weebo Ludwig. Yeah. Yeah, would would uh, I think would disagree with you. And he, he would. You know, <laughs> he lost his <laughs> work case I, on it. And I think there was a lot of ranchers that uh, aren't too pleased at the fact that uh, uh, people could put up a, an oil well 100 meters away from uh, from their houses. So, you know, I think that's, that's always been some sort of bone of contention. But, uh, you know, seeing, uh, going, coming back from Australia where sheep, you know, graze happily right, right underneath the, uh, uh, the wind towers there, I, 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 don't, I don't, didn't see any of those issues, really. You know, I've, I've been in Alberta lots, and I've seen uh, farming being done right around those oil wells, too, and uh, with, with livestock and wheat and all kinds of grain. And there's uh, just a very small footprint for the oil well. So, yeah, that's not a valid argument. Uh, the um, Supposedly, Germany and Denmark have integrated uh, 50% renewable energy, wind and solar, into their grid uh, without any problems. So uh, Alberta at 12.5% seems a long, long way from that uh, Germany, that 50%, uh, they have had problems. First of all, they're... Costs skyrocketed. They got the highest electricity prices in Europe, probably even the world. Uh, their industry, because uh, electricity costs so much, industry is starting to move out to shut down. Germany was the industrial powerhouse of Europe, and that is fading away on them because the costs are too high. All right. So, but you know, you're looking at Alberta, and now their their costs are basically three times the price of BC. They're putting in lots of wind power. That's why. Well, not that much. It's enough. I mean, if they're at twelve and a half percent, that's uh, it's enough. That's a pretty made small, a difference. It's a pretty small percentage, and uh, I'll, just I'll just think what it would cost them when they get fifty percent. Put then that wind power, and that drove up the prices. But it's got nothing to do with anything. You can compare it to our run of the river projects. We got hundred, hundred and ten of them. That's if we just had to use that electricity, it'd be the highest priced electricity in Canada. But we don't use it. We just built them all, and it sits there idle and does nothing. 
And what's going to happen with these wind farms in Alberta? It's going to sit there idle and do nothing because we don't need them. We have cheap power from Site C and WAC Bennett Dam and by that other dam, Columbia River. Two hundred million dollars a year that uh, we get from the Americans by sending all the power down there, because we don't need it. There's no shortage of power in British Columbia. There's shortage of leaders. All right. I mean, is it possible that um, Daniel Smith is just a stooge for the oil industry? I mean, you know, basically, um, they're, they're one, as, they're one as, and the same in Alberta. Yeah. I mean, Jason Kennedy, Kenny was in there, and he was uh, tossing out uh, uh, tax breaks to the oil industry like it was going out of style. And now you've got Daniel Smith in there simply just banning any kind of competition. Well, so you can compare Alberta's oil industry and how they look after it, the way we look after our forests and clear-cutting. We don't care. We just chop them down and leave them there. And they just go and they make a mess and they leave all their crap behind them and uh, let it, the government clean it up. We, we should be taxing them. There should be a clean-up tax, and if they don't clean it up, we, take, we tax them for the cost of us cleaning it up. Alberta does not get power from oil. They get it from natural gas and coal. And coal is being phased out. So it's natural gas, not oil industry. And yet, you know, the, you know that, that brings up the point. Uh, is it, the, uh, is it the, the, the setup there? I mean, basically, uh, you know, we've, we've discussed that uh, Manitoba, B.C., and Quebec all have crown corporations and have the lowest electrical prices in, in, uh, in North America, actually. Um, uh, how is it that uh, private industry is uh, so far behind? Well, part of it is we have hydropower. That makes a big difference. It costs a lot to build those dams. Uh, but back in the day, it was cheaper to build them than today, that's for sure. And uh, the power is there 24-7. Uh, that's why we, we had such an advantage. Uh, Alberta doesn't have a lot of that. I know they have one hydro dam just coming off the Rockies. But uh, for them, their, their power came from coal, and it was much cheaper with coal. Then uh, they're phasing out coal and uh, going into natural gas. And uh, now they have to get out of natural gas. Natural gas got a lot cheaper because of uh, fracking, but uh, now the electricity out of wind, and that's, it's you still have to have the gas there for when the wind isn't blowing. So, All right, we're going to uh, take a break here and be right back. Do you like a good bluegrass song? Enjoying hearing music from the likes of Bill Monroe, Rhonda Vincent, and the Lakeside Ramblers? Then tune in to Back Porch Pickens Sunday evenings at 5 on 93.1 CFIS-FM for an hour of great bluegrass old and new. I'm Corey Walker and I'm thrilled to take you on a musical journey each week as we explore the world of North American bluegrass. Catch Back Porch Pickens Sunday nights at 5 only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Lace up your runners and join the Parkinson Superwalk. For over 30 years, this event has helped to raise funds and inspire hope for over 15,000 people across the province living with Parkinson's disease. 
Together, we can ensure every person touched by Parkinson's has the support they need to live well. Show your support by joining the Parkinson's Superwalk at 1130 Saturday, September 9th in Claytlay Tanay Memorial Park. To register or donate, visit parkinson.ca slash superwalk. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm and local smoke. Winds from the northwest at 20 gusting to 40, a high of 18. Tonight, partly cloudy, then clearing with local smoke. Gusting northwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 5. For Saturday, sunny with local smoke and a high of 22. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we're back. Uh, Eric, we wanted to say something more about uh, Alberta's situation. Yeah, it's not just Alberta, but British Columbia is included. Uh, you know, we've finished, or very close to finishing the LNG plant in uh, Kitimat. And that plant that was built, the first one in British Columbia anyway, small one in Squamish, I think, but anyway, uh, it generates its own electricity. So it brings the natural gas into Kitimat, it burns the natural gas to drive the generators to produce electricity to run the refrigeration units that cools the natural gas down to a level where they can ship it out. Now, that's a huge, huge, huge process. They call them trains or something, and there's two or three trains to an LNG plant. Now, if you don't, when you generate your own electricity that way, it's a huge polluter, and I mean huge. Uh, greenhouse gas polluters. So if you're going to build five or six more of these in British Columbia, <laughs> you're staring one of the biggest pollution problems that you could possibly have in the face. So it looks like the long-term plans is to run these generation plants, and they've been talking about it for a while, on hydro. Electricity generated by uh, BC Hydro and Site C and that, and that type of thing. So, and that gets rid of the uh, greenhouse gas pollution on this end. You're still going to have it on the other end when they have to burn that uh, gas to generate electricity in Europe. So you're still polluting over there, but only 50% as much as if you did it on both ends. So I think that's the strategy. They'll they'll suck all the cheap power from Site C and the rest of it to run the LNG plants. And then they'll go back to wind power and uh, run of the river, uh, high cost power, have it there for a backup when any time there's a shortage. So probably at the end of the, the deal, Alberta and BC, we won't be getting the cheap power we got now because they'll be using it to export LNG and keep the oil industry going. That's my take on it. Yeah, well, spot prices in Japan, for instance, for natural gas are uh, 11 bucks. Um, that's that's roughly what four times the price they are in North America. I think the plan is to to well the the North American natural gas market's already always been landlocked, and with the advent of fracking, you had a huge increase in in production, and uh, the price dropped. So once once we're linked to the rest of the world, yeah, they we're going to get uh, start paying world prices. So you know the Japanese price might come down a bit, but uh, prob- most probably uh, domestic natural gas prices are going to go up. So perhaps even more of a reason for Alberta to rethink their strategy and uh, and embark upon uh, uh, more renewable projects because natural gas is not going to stay cheap. 
Well, it's not going to stay cheap, but the thing is, that's not what they're concerned about. Since when have they been concerned that anything was cheap in this province? The higher <laughs> the price, the better seems to be our mantra for that. The thing is, they want to keep the oil industry going, and they want to keep export of natural gas going. And if that means we're going to pay more for our local gas, then that's what's going to happen. And uh, we'll use all this high-priced run-of-the-river power, and the cheap power will continue to go to the states and or to uh, generate natural gas and electricity in Europe. And we'll be what we always are. What do they call them? Uh, Ewers of wood and drawers exactly, of water. Exactly, exactly. That's what we're here <laughs> Pays <for>. very well. <laughs> All right, maybe we'll switch gears here. And um, uh, there's some interesting news out of Burnaby that they're talking about setting up their own municipal housing corporation. And uh, there's also news out of Calgary that uh, the uh, city council um, is going to vote on uh, measures to... Uh, basically make a blanket rezoning of land there to encourage developers to build more and cheaper housing. Uh, uh, Peter, what's your take on this? Uh, well, yeah, you, you look at the uh, you know, the aim here to uh, have a housing authority for Burnaby. I, I think that, that, that part of this is a result of what's happened with uh, the uh, other levels of government over the last several decades. You know, the uh, federal government pulled out of uh, providing funding for social housing or below-market uh, housing. That, that was, uh, you know, several decades ago, and the provincial government has done the same thing. And who gets left with it are the municipalities who actually are the in the weakest position, right, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, power to raise revenue and, and, and so on. So I, th I think that, uh, you know, what Burnaby's move here is, uh, uh, I think what it's about is uh, trying to bring some more order to the uh, housing situation, especially the, the issue is not just to increase supply, but affordable supply, you know, in terms of rental housing, in terms of being able to purchase and, and, and so on. So that's... Uh, uh, a really important issue, I think. And I think it's something that municipalities like Prince George can consider as well, right? Because uh, we need to have an overall authority in terms of where we're going in terms of uh, affordable housing and all the different projects that are being put forth by at the federal or provincial level and, and, and so on, and at the municipal level. So um, th that's something that I'm not necessarily saying that, that it, it's, it is the way to go, but it's something to be considered in terms of uh, looking at Prince George's uh, situation. And in Burnaby's situation, it seems to make sense, you know, because, uh, you, know, you know, when you have um, uh, crown corporations or, uh, or municipal organizations uh, uh, having uh, authority over housing, you know, the advantage is that uh, you're able to create uh, uh, affordable housing at a lower interest rate than, than regular. And, and secondly, uh, you're able to do away with the developer fee. So th then you're in a situation where you're able to pr provide uh, lower-cost uh, affordable housing, which, which is the issue. We need more of that. Like, there's lots of – like, you go around Prince George right now and uh, – there's all kinds of apartments that have been built all over the place, right? But uh, 
you know, some people would argue that it's very, the problem is that uh, the affordability of them. You know, so where do we go? So it's something to consider in terms of uh, uh, a city, well, like Burnaby, of course, but uh, but also Prince George. Uh, I think there was, uh, there's a website called, I think, uh, Zumper. Anyway, they um, estimate the, uh, they, they follow rents, and I think uh, in Vancouver, the average rent now for a single-bedroom apartment is $2,800 a month. So uh, considering the average salary in Canada is $45,000 a year, and the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation figures that you shouldn't pay more than 30%, uh, that would mean that uh, uh, basically uh, uh, you know, someone earning an average salary could only afford maybe twelve or $1,300 a month rent, and and it's uh, and rents are double that, so uh, yeah, we're we're in a bit of a sticky situation, and uh, it's it's only going to get worse with uh, all these uh, immigrants planned for Canada. So, uh, Art, is that what's what's the uh, what's the solution? Is it a non? Is it a market solution that we should be looking at, or, or we should, we've got to get the federal government to come in and help out? What's uh, what do we do? Uh, much as I hate to see government get involved in things like this, uh, it, it seems like it. There, there really doesn't seem to be much of a choice. Um, you look at what uh, is happening in the, the marketplace, and uh, the the prices are out to lunch. Uh, you look at what they're building houses here uh, in Prince George, and they're all monster houses, not the thousand square foot houses that they built, you know, fifty years ago. So. That, that itself will drive up the whole cost for, for just the average worker who used to be able to, middle-class working man, used to be able to afford these houses. Uh, and uh, it's, it's tough to do even with two people working. Um, it is possible to for the government to get involved, uh, uh, build, uh, I don't know, I guess they call them tenement housing or something like that, low-income stuff. But a lot of times the, the people who live in them don't look after them. This is what the experience has been in the United States and some of the inner cities. And, and it gets, gets to be rather unpleasant places to live. So uh, you have to do something, I think. Uh, I think Burnaby might be on the right track. And you look in uh, Prince George itself here, no, no developer is going to start building low-cost housing. So... Uh, I'm afraid the government might just have to get involved. So are we looking at the federal government to step in, provincial government? They are, they are the ones responsible for housing, not the municipality. Unfortunately, they try to stick the municipality with all the problems and the costs because everybody's overspending. I mean, look, uh, right now, can, can we afford any more? I mean, the city of Prince George, all the spending that we've done lately, uh, the, the taxpayers can only handle so much, and they, they can only borrow so much. So, uh, are we going to take a take a break? Or yeah, okay, we'll be right back. Join UNBC and AgeWell National Innovation Hub for online workshops featuring Talk Tech Technologies Talk Sleep Sense. Talk Sleep Sense is a bed sensor which alerts caregivers if there are issues with a sleeping or bedridden senior so caregivers can intervene to provide support. UNBC and AgeWell want to hear your thoughts and opinions to help guide the tech development. For more information or to participate, email UNBC Tech Study at unbc.ca. 
Ron's Hole in the Wall is now open six days a week in the Q3 Creative Business Hub. Stop by and check out his great assortment of books, magazines, DVDs, and collectibles. Tuesday through Friday between 10 and 2. Ron's Hole in the Wall is also open during the Q3 Community Market, Saturday from 8.30 to 2. Drop in regularly as always something different in store. Ron's Hole in the Wall now open Tuesday through Saturday in the Q3 Creative Business Hub, downtown at the corner of Quebec and 3rd. Lace up your runners and join the Parkinson Superwalk. For over 30 years, this event has helped to raise funds and inspire hope for over 15,000 people across the province living with Parkinson's disease. Together, we can ensure every person touched by Parkinson's has the support they need to live well. Show your support by joining the Parkinson's Superwalk at 1130 Saturday, September 9th in Clayton Tanay Memorial Park. To register or donate, visit parkinson.ca slash superwalk. French George Blind Curling is hosting an Under the Stars golf tournament this Saturday evening at 6. Cost is $350 for a team of five and includes golf fees, dinner, golf balls, and a chance at door prizes. The event is limited to just 16 teams, so register soon by emailing markelcaroline at gmail.com. The Prince George Blind Curling Fundraiser Golf Tournament tees off at 6 p.m. Saturday under the stars. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, and we're back. Eric, what's your what's your take on municipal housing authorities? Is uh, Prince George need a one? Has uh, Burnaby got uh, got the right uh, idea? Are they on the right track? Well, <coughs> sort of. The, uh, I mean, for for every action, there's a reaction. It just it takes time. I mean, if it was me and I was a younger person at this point in time, I'd be looking real hard at building all my housing. You go into the business and start building it at Stoner. And at uh, Hickson, and out at uh, Salmon Valley, and, and those places, it's only a fifteen to twenty minute drive into Prince George. And so, why pay all the the high price for a house in Prince George when you can get a cheaper one out there, and uh, cheaper lots and everything else, and put these guys out of business? I mean, actually, they're putting themselves out of business by pricing themselves out of the market, and somebody's going to fill that gap. And they're only going to get away with it for so long, and it's going to be gone. Now, another way of doing it, and get this, why don't we pay these people, instead of talking about minimum wage, firstly, we should take all the people that are getting paid $90,000 a year or more in British Columbia and have them go on minimum wage for a year just to see how they like it. And then after that, we could have a discussion on minimum wage, and probably we'd vote to increase it. Now, here's one of the silly rationales for not increasing the minimum wage. Well, if you increase the minimum wage, then, you know, the price of a hamburger and coffee is going to go up. Oh, you're breaking my heart. So make a cup of coffee at home, cook your own hamburger. Don't force somebody to work for starvation wages so that this other guy who's selling hot dogs and uh, coffee pretends he's a businessman. He's actually being subsidized by low-income workers. So give them a, instead of going to have the government looking after housing, increase your rate of pay to a half-decent salary, and these people will go out and buy their own houses, and they'll look after themselves, and they won't have to do that. Get rid of this idea that, you know, Herb gets paid minimum wage, Art gets paid triple that. I mean, who decides what should be minimum wage? What do you figure, 50 bucks an hour? No, I figure, I figure you take the median in in British Columbia, like 
and then you take that maybe a little bit under it, and every time they get a cost of living increase, your minimum wage automatically goes up. Well, Australia is able to afford twenty three bucks an hour. So. Australia can afford twenty three bucks now. Yeah, but, we, we, but we you got to look at their too. tax. The other side of how high they're taxed, you know. Yeah, There's nothing cheap in Australia. Now, the the other uh, other idea that comes to mind is that you, you, you've you've said in the past that uh, Prince George actually subsidized uh, or put lots out for sale. Uh, yeah, they did, and they, the city did. They they would go in and they would service twenty lots at a time or something. Then they would put them to auction. And the upside pr- upset price set the price for the other 19 lots. And sometime a contractor would come in and buy the whole works, but you knew what he paid for them. Everybody in town knew what he paid for those lots. You know, he might have paid $25,000 a lot, serviced, or 50000 now. And if he's out there selling them for 150000 you know what's going on. Like, I've talked to people that were... Uh, talking about building a house and talking to the contractor, and he said, well, you know, this is what it's going to cost. And they said, okay, well, we're looking around. We'll come back later. They came back two weeks later, and he said, it's gone up $50,000. And they said, well, what do you mean it's gone up $50,000? It's only two weeks ago. Well, the price of the lot went up, and uh, that's what it is. If you don't like it, too bad. Okay? So then that individual, because he was able to do it, went and got his license as a contractor, and set himself up and then subcontract all the work and built a house for probably roughly, I would say, anywhere from eighty to $100,000 cheaper than they would have paid if they'd have stuck with the contractor. And they've made it very difficult for you to do that now. They make sure they've plugged all the holes and loopholes in that. One uh, individual now apparently, not necessarily in contracting, but he needs 30 different kind of permits just to go to work. You know, everything from... Uh, you know, dangerous goods to stepping the wrong way on a ladder to, you know, having backup lights if you're walking backwards. <laughs> anyway, we can do it. And we should give these, you know, uh, everybody at Prince George right now, when they were younger, had the opportunity to go to work at a decent job, at a decent wage, and buy themselves a house if they chose to or to rent. They can't do that now. That's basically taking away our rights. And it's being done, for the lack of a better word, it's being done by gouging. It's strictly gouging. Those prices have gone up like that because people are making money on it, and there's no way of getting back at them because we have no power. All right, on that thought, uh, we're going to take a break and be right back. Stop by to check out the Canadian National Institute for the Blind Thursday, September 14th at the Q3 Creative Business Hub. CNIB's mobile hub will be on hand with children and youth programming, recreation and social activities, learning and employment workshops, hands-on technology training and product demonstrations. Registration and full details are available at cnib.ca slash mobile hub. The CNIB Mobile Hub, Thursday, September 14th from 10 to 3 in the Q3 Creative Business Hub at Quebec and 3rd. Advocate Life and Education Services Celebrate Life Gala is set for Thursday, October 5th at the Civic Center. Volunteer opportunities are still available to help make this year's event another great success. Assistance is needed in the setup, during the event, and for takedown. If you're interested in lending a hand, email your name, phone number, and your preferred area of volunteering to Madra at advocate.ca. Celebrating Hope for Women's 10th anniversary, the Celebrate Life Gala, October 5th at the Civic Center. 
This year's Great Northwest Fiber Fest is set for Sunday, August 27th from 10 to 4 at the Connaught Youth Center. Stop by to shop the 25 vendors, independent dyers, and makers of tools and accessories for fiber crafters or take one of the workshops. Karaoke dye your own, 3D needle felting, and sweater weather hat. The Prince George Quilting Guild will also be on hand demonstrating their craft with a display of quilts. The Great Northwest Fiber Fest, Sunday, August 27th, from 10 to 4 at the Connaught Youth Center. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm and local smoke. Wind from the northwest at 20 gusting to 40, a high of 18. Tonight, partly cloudy, then clearing with local smoke. Gusting northwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 5. For Saturday, sunny with local smoke and a high of 22. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, back again, and we're uh, still going to talk about um, housing in Prince George a little bit. Um, Boundary Road was developed uh, with the input of money from municipal, provincial, and federal governments to the tune of uh, $30 million, I believe. Uh, there's still about over 3,000 acres there that are, haven't been developed. Uh, in fact, the, gov- the uh, municipal government has given the, the uh, developer there a break on taxes by classifying it as agricultural land. So, is there is there some some way, or, or should we, we should we start thinking about uh, perhaps getting the, the city government to pressure that developer to put some of the land up for sale? I mean, three thousand acres. It's um, closer to downtown than College Heights. Uh, there's no traffic problems coming in either from uh, the east or the south on those highways. Uh, it seems like it's um, could be a win-win situation for Prince George. Eric, what do you what do you think? Uh, it could be. It was set up for a light industrial, and they changed the zoning to a farm, so uh, shouldn't be much of a problem to change it back again. But you don't need that much land if you look. If you go up there, and you might want to do that here because it's kind of interesting. If you go up there at the roundabout and then go up Gun Road, you'll see that they've got street lights on the left-hand side when you're going in toward the Youth Containment Center. And then they also got uh, water in there, you know, the... Uh, hydrants. The hydrants and everything. And I'm thinking that that was set in there when they originally had this concept of having industry there. And then on the north end, they would have had uh, land for housing and land for people working in that area. And of course, when one didn't go, the other one didn't go. But it's all there. I think the infrastructure is there. That it would just be a question of finding out where it is, who owns it, and why they don't develop it into housing. To me, it seems a no-brainer. But uh, anyway, maybe somebody's waiting for the price to go up. Well, uh, not at Prince George. They wouldn't do that. No. Yeah, Peter? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, the idea of uh, having a, a housing authority for, for Prince George, I find it an intriguing idea, right, in terms of uh, where to go, because uh, otherwise we're sort of left with this willy-nilly situation, right, where you have three levels of government that are supposedly involved in some way or another with, uh, with the housing, but where is the coordination, where is the plan? In terms of creating uh, affordable housing, I think I think it's very doable to create affordable housing, but it requ- it re- will require uh, active 
action at the municipal level, but also at the federal and provincial level, you know, like the uh, abdication of the, especially of the federal government from, fu- you know, funding social housing and all that is, uh, you know, p- part of the problem here. So I think w- we, we've got to look at uh, new ways of doing things to that correspond with the existing situation at this time, which is a situation where affordable housing is out of reach for for too many people. It's, it's a little bit intriguing to think that if, if you've got 3,000 acres there ready to, for development and a standard uh, building lot is uh, six per acre, so you're talking, uh, what's that, 18,000 uh, potential building lots at $100,000, I believe, is $1.8 billion uh, just in developed lots. I mean, that would be quite a, a building boom for Prince George. And, you know, it might might provide some sort of impetus for for, uh, for growth for this area that uh, I think we probably badly need. I don't know. I don't know where the people are coming from to fill the apartments that they're building. So where would the house customers <laughs> come from? Well, maybe it's one of those things, build it and they will come. Yeah, yeah. China tried that. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> Well, there's still people lining up to get into Canada. I can't see the same for China. Yeah. But um, all right, on to the next topic. We're going to talk about um, uh, you know BC being in a drought situation, and uh, uh, the government doesn't seem to be doing too much about it. Uh, is that something that uh, is is a is an oversight, Eric? I didn't get the first part. BC being in what? In drought conditions. So I think four out of the five regions in, in BC are at. Uh, in, in a in a drought, yeah, the the highest level, and um, uh, government seems a little slow to to, to react. Is that because we've had it too good in the past, or, or we're just waiting for Mother Nature to rain? Or well, that's what we usually do. <laughs> I was looking at the grasshoppers in my backyard yesterday, so there's no doubt there's grasshoppers around. <clears throat> Nothing new having a, a drought. I haven't. I didn't even bother looking at the stats to see how often we've had droughts in British Columbia, but I'm sure we've had a number of them. I personally think that our weather, I mean, we used to think our weather was being affected by uh, Williston Lake, and maybe it is, And uh, but then we thought that would give us more water. But now I'm starting to think that Clear-cutting is causing us to have less rain and actually probably causing Alberta to have less rain because the moisture that used to go in the air from the the huge forests that we had, you know, you take a couple hundred million trees out of there, you got a lot less moisture in the air. And I think we've created a monster we haven't even really given too much thought to yet. <clears throat> I shot this off to some expert in... Uh, Victoria or whatever, no, UBC, and asked him what he thought of what he thought about that, as opposed to whatever thing he was trying to peddle, and uh, he said that he thought that with reforestation, that there would be no change in the uh, amount of uh, moisture that's dissipated <clears throat> into the air by uh, average normal tree, like say 30, 40 foot tree, fir tree or spruce tree or whatever. So anyway, I just turned that picture face down. I won't be using that as a reference anymore because as far as I'm concerned, you don't know what the hell he's talking about. But 
I think that's a serious problem because those trees, the moisture they don't use goes into the atmosphere, and may, maybe it ends up raining in Grand Prairie or something. Who knows? But it's definitely putting moisture in the air. And if we're not doing that, and she's going into the ground and staying there, we're going to be getting droughts and floods. That's my p- position anyway. All right. Let's so take, take a break and we'll be right back. The Prince George Council of Seniors Caregiver Support Program needs volunteers who have experience caring for seniors. If you are a retired nurse or caregiver and can offer some time to assist families and friends who are caring for their loved ones, contact the Seniors Resource Centre. Wendy is ready and willing to help you through the process. Call the centre at 250-564-5888 or email hcn at pgcos.ca. You can also stop by the centre at 1335th Avenue. This year's team of riders for the annual Cops for Cancer Tour to North is set. The team will spend the next six months training and fundraising as they prepare to cycle over 800K across seven days in September. Funds raised go towards life-saving childhood cancer research and Camp Good Times. The Tour to North team will set out on September 15th from Prince George and finish in Prince Rupert on September 21st. To learn more about the program or to donate, please visit tourtonorth.ca. If you believe someone you know might be the victim of elder abuse, turn your concerns over to the professionals and let them investigate. Do not confront an abuser yourself. Let the professionals determine if abuse is occurring. The Prince George Council of Seniors has a list of numbers you can call and websites you can visit for more information. Pick up the list at the Seniors Resource Center at 1335th Avenue or call 250-564-9100. National Forest Week is September 19th to 25th. As part of this year's events, the Canadian Institute of Forestry is hosting a free walking tour of the Willow River Interpretive Trail, including a barbecue and busing to and from the trail. Departure time and place are to be announced. To take part, you must RSVP by emailing amanetta at shaw.ca by September 19th. All ages are welcome for this free guided tour, Saturday, September 23rd, presented by the Caribou Section of the Canadian Institute of Forestry. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, back again. Peter, what uh, should we be doing about uh, the drought situation? Well, you know, the, the question is, uh, you know, should, should the province be doing something about it? Well, I think so, I, you know, because when you go back, you know, you look at human civilization, we've, uh, you, you, human societies have been dealing with uh, drought and flooding and, you know, the control of water is very important for the development of the society in terms of agriculture and so on. So, uh, you know, I, I think that the situation is not just about drought, it's about uh, also the flooding, like, because uh, you, you go back several years and there was major flooding in the lower mainland uh, in the w- that wiped out roads and farmlands and so on. So, you, you know, the, the situation of doing something, uh, yes, I believe, I believe so. Like, we have to correspond to the situation if we're in the... If we're into a period of, um, you know, a lot of instability and, and ups and downs in terms of uh, moisture and rain and, and so on, uh, we, we need to be able to, to take those things into account. Uh, otherwise, you get left uh, out in a bad situation like is, is happening in the States with the Colorado River, you know, and the, uh, the water basin there, Lake Mead, I believe it is, and all that. You know, lowering or you know significantly and uh, endangering the water supply to uh, a lot, literally millions of people. So it's not a question of whether we do something or not. It's a, it's a question that we we've always had to do things right. 
the, the critical thing is is you know what are what are some ideas and all this that will work for the BC situation you know to make it so that we uh, s suffer the least from both droughts and floods you know control of the water is is, is a, always an issue for a society Art, we've kind of had a free ride in the past. We've never really had a problem overall in, in BC. It seems that things are, might be changing. What's your take? Well, you want to know what if the government should do something. What can the government do? Are they going to pass the law to make it rain? They're calling King Canute. Uh, <laughs> you know, droughts happen. Uh, maybe not very often. Maybe some are more severe than others. And then there's wet years, too. Uh, I remember uh, years ago when uh, we had a cool, wet summer. It just seemed like it never rained. And, oh, yeah, this has never been done before. This is all part of global warming. And now we have a drought. Oh, part of global warming. It's weather. It changes all the time. You have wet years, you have dry years. This is a bad one, a really bad one. The government can't do anything about it. Nobody can. All we can do is adapt and get along as best we can. Uh, there's nothing the government can do to prevent future droughts or or floods. It's just you have to react to whatever comes, and maybe you know be prepared for it. That's about all. All right. Maybe we'll switch gears and uh, just finally finish off with uh, some thoughts about what people have about uh, that roundabout at the uh, on Foothills. Is that uh, I think it started off uh, was supposed to cost 1.2 million dollars. Uh, it's going to come in at 1.6. Uh, I guess they figure that they've come in under budget now, so they're going to do some paving at the uh, at the edge of Ginter's for a parking lot. Uh, but it turns out the taxpayer is going to pay for the bulk of it. Uh, is this a, a good deal for taxpayers or a raw deal? Eric? Well, not very often you get a good deal for taxpayers, but uh, I don't understand. Uh, I misunderstood what you said there. You said it was a... 1.2 and it came in at 1.6. That was the original estimate was for 1.2 million dollars that it was going to cost, and it came in at 1.6. So where, how do you get a surplus out of that? Because they said that they've uh, they, the bid came in at 1.6, but they said they they have uh, some extra money, so now they're going to do some paving. So I don't know. It sounds like some pretty uh, <laughs> sounds like they want to get some free footwork. paving. They don't want to put it back into general revenue, yeah. or maybe do it. A, <laughs> Put it towards to solve the uh, the homeless fund or something. Yeah, I would say this. It's again. It's a it's a question like like what do you get for your interest? Like you put millions and millions of dollars and invest it with the uh, municipal lending authority, and then you get the interest on it. So I said, well, where does the interest go? Oh, that goes into general revenue. So you know, and, uh, the stuff from the casino goes to general revenue and. Stuff from something else goes into general revenue. This is all over and above our taxes. So um, I guess if there was a competition, who could spend money the best? We'd put in our teams, the federal, provincial, and municipal governments, and they'd probably come in first, second, and third. <laughs> Peter, uh, considering there was no intersection at that corner, and they're going to put in a uh, a $1.6 million or $1.4 million roundabout. Uh, I, you know, isn't it, isn't it traditional that uh, if a developer uh, puts up an apartment building or a shopping complex and they, they uh, influence traffic patterns, that they're actually responsible for the costs of, 
upgrading the infrastructure. Yeah, well, that would seem to make sense to me, yeah, in, to, in, that, in that regard, right? You know, because uh, infrastructure is a big issue for, uh, you know, apartment buildings and neighborhoods and, and so on, right? And so if, if you're creating a, a, a problem there, yeah, there should be some liability or, or input, you know, from, from the developer side, right? You know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the cost of this. So, yeah, I would say, yeah. Yeah. So you figure that the taxpayer is getting a raw deal? Well, you know, like again, you have the the over, you know, the the overrun, which is always a, a, an issue. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, could have looked at this uh, in other ways. I'm not sure, like whether there were uh, other alternatives to creating a roundabout, you know, considered right, and uh, what the what were the negotiations with the. Uh, Apartment buildings at that time, right? You know, the the owners of the apartment buildings. Uh, yeah, that, that remains to be seen. Art, should we be the taxpayers should be subsidizing uh, uh, property developers? Well, we shouldn't have done it in this case. That's for sure. A few people coming out of the apartments wanted to turn left, so they built a roundabout for them. You know, it didn't take wouldn't take much for them just to drive up 18th and onto Ospika and go left there. You, Oh, no, we have to build a roundabout for them, no. Uh, the thing that really gets me about this is uh, why do they want to pay the parking lot with the surplus? How about applying the surplus to the debt? You know, there's something that happens to the psyche of people who, you know, when they go to work for government, is they just have to spend every dollar they have in the budget. If there's a surplus, they have to find a way to spend it somehow. For Pete's sake, think of the poor people who have to pay the taxes and pay down the debt for a change. All right. And I think you've got the last word there. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, see you next week. Oh, and uh, what else? We were going to maybe talk about um, <laughs> what else? No, you can't. Nope, nope, we're done. Okay, I guess we're, yeah, we're just going to wrap it up then. Okay. You're done? We're done. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith.